Hello and welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. This is part two of our Roland Garros 10 High Points from the French Open. And if you haven't already heard part one, don't worry, this podcast stands on its own. You can let it roll. But we encourage you to check out part one, which was our last podcast. And it's a subtle reminder to please subscribe to the Tennis Pal Chronicles podcast channel so you can get immediate access when they are released. Let's jump right into the conversation with myself, Philip Kim, and my awesome co-host, Valerie Garcia. Enjoy. Our next highlight has to be, for Federer fans, the most important and yet also the most disappointing. It was Federer versus Nadal. It was Fedal at the French Open. Fedal 31 or something like that? 39. 39, I, I think, think, yeah. yeah. The, the 39th time they have met. And... It was actually turned out to be a non-event because Nadal was just incredibly strong. He was, and it was kind of a non-event. But I think, you know, for those who watched, it was closer than the scoreline suggested. Yeah. I certainly was proud of Federer. Like, I didn't... There's French Open finals I watched where I was like, why did he even go? Why did mm -hmm. you even go? Mm -hmm. Seriously, it didn't mm -hmm. even look like you tried. Yeah. <laughs> this one, I did not have that feeling. I felt like, you know, they were dealing with tough conditions and wind. Well, first of all, everything about Nadal's game is favored at Roland Garros. And then throw in wind, windy conditions, and you put one player who hits aggressive and flat and one player who hits with the most margin we've ever seen in the game with the amount of topspin. Yeah. Of course, it's going to favor the one who's a better defender and the one who has more margin and the one who has all the confidence there. Right. I mean, he just basically had everything going for him. And I was just proud that, you know, Roger only got broke. I think now he probably got broke more than once a set, but he broke back. So he only ended up losing every set by one break, I right. believe. <laughs> and, you know, being the delirious Federer fan that I am, I really kind of walked into it thinking that that he had a chance. And this is a testament to Roger Federer on clay, as you'd already mentioned he played an incredible French Open. He just really devastated all the people he played. He looked great. He played with ease. He didn't look injured or hurt at all. And he walked into that match ready. And I loved what he said in the press conference when they asked him, you know, are you worried about playing Nadal? And he said, I knew that I'm playing the French Open because I'm going to have to face Nadal. So let's listen to him talk about that against any player there is always a chance otherwise nobody will be in the stadium to watch because everybody already knows the result in advance and I think sport does that to you that every match needs to be played before it's decided and that's exactly um, what everybody believes by facing Rafa they know it's going to be tough but you just never know um, he might have a problem, he might be sick, you never know. And uh, you might be playing great, or for some reason he's struggling. Maybe there's incredible wind, rain, 10 rain delays, you just don't know. And that's why you need to put yourself in that position. For me to get to Rafa is not not simple. It took five matches here to, to for me to win, to get, uh, to get there. And um, that's why I'm very happy to play Rafa, because if you want to do or achieve something on the clay, inevitably at some stage you will go through Rafa because he's that strong and he will be there. So um, I knew that when I signed up for the clay that 
hopefully that's going to happen. If I would have had a different mindset um, to avoid him, then I should not have played the clay. So I think by that mindset, I think it helped me to play so well so far this tournament. Now, the thing that bugs me about that, Philip, is him saying, you never know, you have to play. Now, that's, I'm sorry, that's the good part about it. But yeah. then he says, you never know, he could be ill, he could be hurt. Like, then he starts saying, like, basically, I know I can't win unless he's ill or hurt. And I'm like, <laughs> what does that say? Um, I liked more of the approach that you never know. There could be rain delays. There could be this or that. And and he did get like a bunch of wind, um, which he also mentioned. It could be really windy. And I thought, oh, maybe that's going to make him confident. He got his wish. It's really windy. <laughs> and <laughs> well, it didn't help him at all. Yeah. I think the wind gave him an out, though. I think yeah. it made all of us feel like, well, he would have done a lot better if it was less windy. But it was kind of interesting to see how much better Nadal was in wind than Roger. Yeah. I don't think the wind, for me anyway, didn't give him an out. I thought this was exactly what you hoped and asked for. This is your variable that you wanted, saying this might be a way, a window in for you to sneak in a win against Rafa here. You got it, and you did not take advantage of it. Um, now, I, I understand on the basis of physics, why his game and his strokes don't match up well to wind as an, as an opponent. However, like, I do think, I don't know, Nadal was flustered. Yeah. N N he did have Nadal feeling very uncomfortable yeah. for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and he just didn't take advantage, right. in my opinion. Yeah. But easy for me to say, I'm, you know, whatever. I mean, even, I think there was no situation minus what Roger said you know, he had like Nadal had food poisoning or something <laughs> that was going to make him lose to Roger. I think five was the magic number also because Roger had gone into the French Open knowing that he had lost all matches against Nadal at the French Open, 0-5. But he also had, he and all of us Fed fans had the idea that he had beaten Rafa the last five times they played. Of course, they weren't on clay. Yeah. But it really gave us hope that his game maybe had changed and he had adapted and maybe he could be very competitive. Unfortunately, it was not the case. Well, and I, I think like if it wasn't so windy, to be honest, actually, I, I don't think he played the same style that he plays on hard court to, to do what he has done the last five times he's beaten it all over the past couple of years. Yeah, I don't think he was allowed to really. Yeah. I think... Partly because Nadal was more ready and he kind of stepped in more and he hit more backhands down the line as well. Because Roger, that's what Roger does is he just attacks his backhand yeah. just constantly. But this time, instead of Nadal putting it back, putting it back, N Nadal was putting those backhands away. It was very strong. Yeah, he was hitting some really good stuff. And actually, you just reminded me that when we were talking about Nadal and Soderling earlier, Soderling went to Nadal's forehand yes. a lot. Yes. And so I think, you know, sometimes that is a strategy is that people are trying to play to his backhand because they're afraid of his forehand. But the people who tend, I think Dustin Brown did it too at, at the Wimbledon a couple of years ago. People who tend to attack his forehand are the ones that I've seen that are the ones that, that come up with these miracle upsets. Mm. But either way, I mean, it was a it was a good match. I, I was proud of Roger. I would say, though, that there were many points where Roger played a perfect point, set up the shot, was ready to hit a winner on the third or fourth shot, and Nadal would just hit that one more. 
yeah. and and win. And there were so many times where you just felt like, if I was Roger, I'd go, oh my gosh, what do I have to do to win a point here? Yeah, it's true. And everyone feels that against Nadal. But I do think that N- Roger just wasn't being aggressive enough because of the win. Because of the win. Because, yeah. he, because when he had that shot to put it away, he wasn't putting it away because he was doing what he said in the press conference. I'm just trying to not look like an imbecile or whatever, just trying to get it in the in the court. Right. I can't think I'm going to, you know, hit this screaming winner. I'm just thinking like, well, if I could get it over in that area and make it in, then, you know, we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, probably Roger's greatest weapon was kind of neutralized as well as his serve. Yes. And so throughout the match, I felt like it was all second serves. He mm-hmm. just could not get a first serve in and I felt like there were very few aces. I don't have the stats, but yeah, it was it was unfortunate. It was somewhat of a non-event, and it kind of cemented the idea that Nadal is just unbeatable on clay. Because if anybody could do it, it's got to be Djokovic or Federer, right? Or and team, right? He played possibly team. Two but, of the three, and but have we seen that? Have has team beat Nadal on clay ever? Yeah, like four times. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> he's. Uh, you can edit that out if you want. But no, uh, it's okay. <laughs> he, yeah, he's beat him. Uh, I think his clay court is like four and eight against mm. Nadal. So, um, but at Roland Garros? No, no, no. Well, nobody's beat him Nobody. at Roland, Roland Garros except, except for, for Djokovic and totally yeah. <laughs> easy, easy to remember. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, wow, what a dynamic record. So, and that's the thing is that Roland Garros, he has so much confidence, and also the clay plays differently there. Yeah, in it's, such a way, it's that, way different than the others. I think it's slower. Yeah, and that helps definitely. Another shocking thing with the Fidal thirty nine was. There were actually empty seats in the house. Mm. And I even heard like the commentators talking about it. You mm. know, um, I actually saw a lot of empty seats throughout the tournament. It seemed. There were people complaining about that, that they couldn't get tickets. Yeah. There was even that kind of stampede video that, yeah. that was on Twitter um, where people were so crowded into, I think it was. Longland. Longland. Or trying to get into court one, the bull. The bullpen. But the bullpen as, mm. and Longland, I think, somewhere in between there. Mm. Don't quote me on that. I've never been there. Just going off a of memory of what I hear commentators say. Bucket list, yeah, <laughs> for sure. But yeah, it seems like, and I, I've got to think the weather was just insane, so people just didn't want to come as well. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, here's our next highlights. Unfortunately, world number one Djokovic lost, and also on the women's side, our first women's discussion for <laughs> Roland Garros, world number one Naomi Osaka losing at for the French Open. That was that was a sad day. I think I saw you that day. That was the first Saturday. Yeah. We had our lunch and learn. Right. Uh, the tennis stringing event. And I think Osaka went out that day and Serena in the same day. That was crazy. And yeah, that was a was, big day. I was like, no, but it was it was weird to see Osaka go out. I mean, she had been struggling in the early rounds, but she kept coming back. And I don't know about you, but I just believed that she was going to figure out a way and even in this match, I just kept thinking, like, okay, she's going to, like, figure it out. And she just didn't. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking, well, she played Azarenka in the beginning. And then uh, what she, a tough draw. It was a really tough draw. But she came back in a kind of an epic fashion. Mm-hmm. And she seemed out of sorts. I mean, actually, Azarenka bageled her. Yeah. 6-0 in the very first set. So you you got to feel like she's feeling overwhelmed mm-hmm. and not ready, 
And again, here is world number one, feeling the pressure of really wanting to win, uh, just like we talked about with Djokovic. And there's actually a quote of her saying that uh, she was really kind of eyeing a calendar Grand Slam. She was kind of feeling confident that maybe she could actually do all four. So let's listen to her talk about her match. Mm, I mean, I just feel like there's been a weight on me, kind of. And I know that's because that everything is like sort of new. Um, like I've played French Open before, but not in this cir- circumstance or situation, whichever one. Um, so yeah, I mean, it hasn't been the the happiest of times because I I tend to think like, I mean, you guys are kind of more used to it because you're tennis journalists or some of you guys are. I don't know if the rest of, um, but like, you know, like other people outside of tennis, they look at the rankings, they're like, oh, you know, like she's supposed to win this match because the other girls ranked like five million hundred, whatever. Um, and and then it's like these people, you know, they're they're really good, but it's like they have ups and downs. Like I wasn't ranked one like last year. I was like ranked 70. So, you know, there's people that can play really good, but not consistently. And there's times where they shine and it's like, like there's nothing I can really do about it. So I totally didn't answer your question, but... <laughs> Um, you know, it's weird, but I think me losing is probably the best thing that could have happened. Um, I think I was overthinking this, like, calendar slam. For me, this is something that I've wanted to do forever, but I think I have to think about it, like, if it was that easy, everyone would have done it, um, and... I just have to keep training hard and put myself in a position again to do it, hopefully. Um, But for now, like, uh, piecing out of this tournament, I'm going home. Like, bye. I'm sorry. I'm not going to miss you guys. (laughs) At first, I felt like, wow, against Azarenka, she had that fighting spirit. And then also in the next match, you felt like she was down and that she was going to pull it through again. Mm -hmm. But after she lost, I realized it wasn't so much that she had the fighting spirit and was coming back. It was just that she was not dominant. She couldn't actually win it from the very beginning. She was really struggling. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of showed that pressure that she just talked about in her press release. And she lost to Siniakova, a young, young player. She was the world number one doubles player at the time. So People were talking about how the world number one doubles player beat the world number one singles player. That's something you see only at the French Open. <laughs> only at the French Open, yeah. Katerina Siniakova, I guess she's a double specialist, and she had never gone past the third round of a major in singles competition. Huge, huge win for her. Yeah, she played well. She had a lot of touch and feel. A lot of drop shots, a lot of touch and feel. Naomi was really kind of out of sorts and she really wanted it and um, just the pressure took her down. And yeah, uh, the other shocking loss, as I said earlier, the same day was after Osaka goes out, I'm like, no, and then bam, <laughs> Your watching girl. Serena and uh, fellow American Sophia or Sonia Kennan, however you'd like, she goes by both names. Yeah, she really whooped her. <laughs> 
She took a tour. She really did. And it was cool how much confidence and swagger she had as she was playing. I mean, she was cheering herself on, making loud shouts uh, after she hit great shots and pretty vocal. How did you feel about that? Yeah, it was it was great to see her. She was very composed. She had great game. And um, for a young American, what is she, 20 years old? You know she grew up her whole life watching Serena just win majors, win majors, to go up on a court she's never played on and against probably her idol and a fellow American who's uh, quite possibly the greatest player who's ever played women's tennis, uh, to keep her composure and just just be whipping out those winners and, and just really taking it to Serena is super impressive. Yeah. And what did you think of Serena's game and her form? Not that impressive. <laughs> Serena is a person who can always turn it on and beat anyone if she can turn it on. Uh, to me, what I saw was someone who just wasn't confident. You know, it's that it's that mental switch that she just couldn't seem to to switch over. And credit to Kenan for from keeping her from being able to do that. Because had she had a lapse at all, then that would have been the point where you know maybe Serena could have worked her way into the match. But she never let up. And I felt like it wasn't just that she out-hit Serena, but she was so smart in the way she played. Mm -hmm. She was hitting behind Serena so much. And you just don't see Serena struggling as much to know where the ball is going to go. But it really seemed like she was taken by surprise in mm -hmm. so many shots. So, yeah, again, Kennan really was playing out of her mind and uh, very, very smart. Very smart tennis. Yeah, and you hope she can keep it up. You know, a lot of times I just, I guess I'm jaded. I guess I'm jaded because I have like memories of like 2009 US Open, Melanie Oden having the run of her life. Like, and then like this kind of win. A lot of people, or Coco Vandeweghe one year, I remember had this great win over Serena Williams right. when she was younger. Yeah. And you just think like, oh my God, it's the next greatest thing for women's tennis in the United States. And, and then you just don't hear from them again. And so, you know, part of me thinks that this is another one-hit wonder, but the one that I do think is not going to be a one-hit wonder is Anna Kornikova, number two, our American homegrown, Amanda Anasimova. <laughs> Anna Kornikova, too. I don't know why I said that. I would think that would be Eugenie Bouchard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why I think Anasimova, Anna her look, the, the long, tall young look, the round face. She she does look a little bit she reminiscent of an Anna Kornikova to me. I think she's taller too. Okay. I don't remember how tall Anna Kornikova was. My thing was she was like the best player, the most famous player to not be good. So hopefully <laughs> Anna Samova doesn't have that going on. But um, yeah, how about her? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, uh, that that's the best transition because we're talking about another American here. And it's very deceiving because of her last name, Anisimova. You really feel like, oh, she's Russian, and obviously mm -hmm. she is by background, but she is playing for America. And wow, what an incredible, stunning player she is. She really um, turned it on. And after Osaka lost and then Serena lost, of course the next person who is going to win the French Open is going to be Simona Halep. She was defending champion. Yes. So you felt like the path just cleared. Yeah. The skies just opened, you know, and Simona must have felt the same way, I'm assuming. Yeah, that may have been the pressure she felt. Yeah, but when Simona Halep played in the quarterfinals against this young American, uh, she got 
beat down. I was mean, it, six was two, it, six four. Oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't uh, see all of the match. Um, I watched pieces, and then I think I think I had to go to work. It, um, it was a stunning defeat. It was clean winners all day long. Nice. Anna Samova was just, especially her backhand, her, her backhand is dreamy, just incredible. She takes the ball so early that she can hit these incredible angle shots. Um, she also was hitting around uh, Halep going behind her, and Halep didn't have a, a chance. Considering what a great defender Simona is, you have to understand, you got to watch this match, how cleanly Anna Samova was hitting. And the style that she hits with, too, is very graceful and very clean. It, it just is perfectly timed. She just has great timing. So you just, you don't feel like she's swinging for the trees. Like with Simona Halep, you feel like it takes a lot for her to hit hard. Yeah. She has to fully rotate on that ball and hit hard. Anna Samova, you feel like she is just relaxed and swinging, and yet this an incredible power comes out of her. Yes. Kind of like an Ostapenko in a way without all the oh. attitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ostapenko was one that you thought you would be watching this tournament, but she didn't really uh, produce, Well, she won but... it. She won the French Open and then had the curse of, you know, never, yeah. never again. I think she's lost first or second round <laughs> since yeah. every year. Well, I think it didn't, I mean, to, to me anyway, it didn't really seem like it suited her game that much. So I thought it was kind of a one-off that she one anyway but um yeah i at least with uh amanda anna samova i i feel like she has a bright future i hope she's very young my she, gosh she's she turned 18 i think at the french open but yeah. she was 17 and to be that young to be that composed have that much skill it harkens back to the days of kind of monica sellis you mm -hmm. know where someone comes on the scene and really can throw down power with such ease. Um, and she also has great game at the net and uh, touch as well. I mean, she she does it all. So kudos to her coach. That's funny because I was just thinking, who's her coach? I know I know <laughs> who it is, but I don't remember. Um, yeah, and I feel like Anisimova is in that group of young players that is coming up that's really changing tennis, kind of like a Sabalenka. I think, unfortunately, Sabalenka was disappointing here at the French Open, but Again, just such easy power and just demolishing the ball. Just incredible. And actually, Anisimova beat Sabalenka, and I think this is now the second time that uh, she's beat her. So it shows you how everyone used to say Sabalenka is going to win a slam, and mm -hmm. maybe she will because she's she does have all the tools, kind of like a Zverev. But it's been easy for Anisimova to beat Sabalenka. So it just kind of shows you where she's at. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Sabalenka, everyone thinking she's going to be the next one to win the slam. Who was the next one to win the slam? Ash Barty. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Ash Barty. Grand Slam champion. Kind of out of nowhere, right? Yeah. I mean, I knew she was kind of like uh, moving up in the ranks and improving her game, but I didn't really think she would win this tournament. And then I was listening to the tennis podcast and uh, I heard Matt saying like, she's going to win one this year. And I was like, oh, and then she won like the next one after he made this prediction. Mm. So it was just kind of interesting and i don't think that her game is actually quite suited for clay so it, that was the shocking thing as well 
You know, I, I don't know her game that well. I don't watch her that much, but just so, so surprised that someone as consistent as her won because I do feel like she's got tons of skill, but she kind of lacks charisma, lacks power, and I just feel like she is this person who can just put the ball back, is really smart around the court, great doubles player as well. So in in a way, it kind of is a return back to just being a complete tennis player. I feel like Ash Barty is probably the most complete women's tennis player right now. Everything about her game is smooth. She's got an incredible serve. It's not powerful, powerful, but mm-hmm. it's just a great serve, great forehand, great backhand, nothing like Anna Samova, but can just do it all really well. No holes in the game. Yeah, and variety is so important. The thing that I find so fascinating about Ash Barty, because uh, like you kind of alluded to and we've talked about before um, on a personal level, the personality is is a little um, closed off, so it's kind of really hard to like get in and be like, oh my God, I love her, like an Osaka or someone who's maybe quirky or just really open and giggly and lovable or something. Um, however, what makes her really lovable to me is, um, or easy to root for, I should say, not lovable, <laughs> is the fact that she went away. You know, she took time off tennis in her late teens and went and played lacrosse and then came back. What I think it was like last year, like recently, and she's wow. just barely been back. And then she's just like clicking on all cylinders. Yeah. And I think she needed that getaway and she, it just like relieved pressure, I think, maybe the whatever the pressures of the tennis schedule and life you know puts on these players because these players play like no other athlete in the world they play year round i mean they get a few weeks off in december and that's it right and they say it's a very lonely trip as well at least lacrosse is a team sport yes but yeah maybe it helped her re-up her commitment to tennis and say you know I'm really going to do this this time. And boy, she has really been doing it. Yeah. So I'm interested to see the fun thing about watching a player win a grand slam for the first time, in my opinion, is watching how they plan to back it up yeah. or not how they plan to back it up. I'm sure they have a plan, but how do they actually back it up? Is she going to be a dud forever? Like, or is she going to, you know, can she win multiple? Can she go and win Wimbledon? Yeah. And do a back-to-back. It could be a Saka, Saka, Barty, Barty. I feel like she's more like a David Ferrer player where she just is very, very consistent. She has a great game. She's right there with everyone. And it just happened that at the French Open, all of the number one players that might have taken her out and have been taking her out in past tournaments fell. Yeah. Serena was gone. Simona was gone. Yeah. And, and so out of the people who made it to the semifinals, she was the most consistent. And so... The next point in the highlight of our French Open is we can talk about the women's game in the semifinals because it was a very radical semifinals. And in general, women's tennis is so different every tournament. Yes. I think it's been over 20 now, different winners. Uh, Yeah, maybe for the year we haven't had a repeat winner. Right. (laughs) Not one repeat winner, which is insane that different women are winning different tournaments and there isn't any kind of consistent winner. There isn't any kind of dominance, which maybe is good for the game because it just gives every one of these players hope that they can be the next. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why so many people are rising up. But there is something else because the level of the game that these women are playing is just strong, very strong. It's just getting 
harder and harder, deeper and deeper, faster and faster, more more physical. Just incredible. Yes, it's it's definitely it's like the mirror image of the men's tour. <laughs> Whereas like there's only a few people winning everything on right. the men and then the women it's just like flip a coin any given day, you never know. It's like Superman and Bizarro or yes. something. So out of the four players who made it to the semifinals, uh, you read that stat. Out of the combined four semis, only three of them had actually won even a match in the open main draw. At the French Open, yeah. At the French they had Open. Never even, they have never won a match at Roland Garros until this year, and then they get to the semifinal. That's right. crazy. And all of the Grand Slam winners were out, so there wasn't a Grand Slam winner left in all of them. Yeah, and the only one that had been kind of there before was Conta, who had, why did I say her name so funny right now? Conta, uh, who had been there, what, this is her third slam semifinal. Semifinal, yeah. But obviously all of them had not ever been to a final and all of them had not won a grand slam, let alone strange, right? Yes, yes. And so because of that, the way the planets lined up, Ash Barty comes up on top. Yes, and you would think well, I thought anyway in the semifinal that Kanto would have been able to take out Vondrasova because Vondrasova had never even played on Philip Chatrier. Mm. I don't think that was like right. pretty sure that was like her first semifinal of a Grand Slam. She's like 19 years old and she also was playing on a court she's never played on. And then it's maybe maybe this helped, but I'm pretty sure the courts were they were like eerily empty. Mm. Um, another part of the whole scheduling nightmare and scheduling drama where the women were kind of just cast aside and put on Longland for all the matches. More that's controversy. A, that's a, yeah, more controversy that I, you know, I didn't pay attention enough. It's a whole to be podcast. honest, it wasn't, I got what I needed, which was to see, you know, the men that I love on the courts. I actually didn't really care what court they were on as long as they were televised. But the ticket holders, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly, wow. the ticket holders. So, I mean, and what was even crazier was through the whole week, Susan Longland was the was the court to be at. It had all the best matches. And then all of a sudden, he <laughs> just like, I don't know, threw the women, don't even give them a shot in their first semifinal, and they don't even get to play in the main stadium, you know, Philip Chatrier. So I really did think that Kanto was going to come out of that. And it was it was cool to see Von Drusova with her, you know, her guile and her leftiness get through that into her first final. Yeah, and on the other side, I really thought Anisimova was going to take it. I mean, she has all the weapons. I really felt like she should have been able to beat Barty, but that just shows you what a great fighter Barty is, how consistent she is, how she can get things back, how physical she is, and... Even mentally, she was a lot stronger because Barty was up 5-1 in the first set. Yeah. And Anna Samova came all the way back and won that first set 7-5. And yet, Barty was still able to be consistent enough to hold the second set and make it happen. Wow, that was yeah topsy-turvy. That was topsy-turvy, for sure. I mean, that was definitely one of the f- more fun matches to watch. It was also the first time I've seen Amanda kind of lose it i mean she it meant a lot of course i mean she could have been in the final so i'm sure it meant a lot to her and she's only 17 so i mean come on give her a break she just turned 18 but you felt like uh she really let her emotions go she was really getting upset and um it was showing in a big way and i'm sure she was upset herself and and the expectation she had but uh yeah it was hard to watch yeah. At the end. It was, but I mean, at the end, we got uh, two girls who had never been to the final before, so 
It's exciting, I guess, when you see something like that, that you know that someone's going to win their first slam no matter what. And that's just in line with all of women's tennis. Yes. Every <laughs> slam, it's like someone's going to win their first slam no matter what. No. So strange. Well, once Serena got to 23, I think it got really super mental for her. And mm. she's lost a couple finals since then. And I feel like it's really made her edgy. And then other than her, you know, there's just real no sure thing. Right. I mean, she did have a baby. She did, but I don't I don't even think the baby Look, if Serena just serves right, True. she's in every match. True. She can't even get that together cuz I feel like it's it's a mental thing. Mm. She loses the mental edge of because she wants that 24 so bad. Mm. You know, um it's almost like the way Djokovic couldn't keep his, himself together in the semifinal like it's just when you're striving for that kind of achievement, the mind games that must happen in your own head must be crazy. Yeah. Well, it was really cool how young the players were on the women's side with Anisimova, with Vondrasova, uh, Siniokova. <laughs> Did I get all those right? Uh, on the men's side as well, um, there were a lot of young guns kind of making their move. I didn't feel like they could make a den against Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, but they were a lot of people that were coming up. So our last highlight is basically talking about the young players at Roland Garros and how they did. Well, I'll tell you who definitely was a disappointment for me. I had higher hopes for Shapovalov. I thought, I th just thought he would do more. He went out in the first round. Yeah. And uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime, he seems like he's just a little bit more matured than Shapovalov and like maybe he might be the one who's going to get to the next level first. Well, he is even higher in the rankings. I think he's number 21 right now, where Shapovalov is 25. Yeah. So he's already passed him. Yes. Even though he's younger. And I he's feel like 18. he's on a fast track to yeah. get to just get there sooner. Yeah. Um, he has a more complete game. I think Shapovalov still is like in that I'm going to hit a winner mentality. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's he's looking for those. He's going to get those once every five-month wins against someone. The right? highlight reels. Yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. which is fine. Those are exciting players to watch. Um, and the fact that he's lefty, I think, gives him an advantage to have maybe more of those type of situations. Yeah, I love his game. It's so fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. A uh, little sad he cut his hair, though, not going to lie. I definitely root for him less because I liked the hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I felt like there was some young ones that just, to me, like Zverev, just yet again, you know. Um, I mean, at least I think he lost to Djokovic yeah. in the quarterfinals. So right. I guess he you lost to the right person to lose to if you're going to lose to someone. But um, So he did kind of step it up. But I just really feel like... You know, when is when is his time? When is he going to really make that push and challenge the big three? Because it's obvious that he can he can game with his peers of his generation. Um, he's quite dominant with all them, but then he plays the big three. And minus the uh, ATP finals last year when he came up with that miraculous win against Djokovic. And Federer. And Federer, yeah, back-to-back. In back the same back. tournament, yeah. And then you think, then you, then you see that it's like this false sense of whatever hope that they give you like oh next gen's coming up he ended his year like this and then new year and then it's just like the same grand slam disappointment i'm ready hopefully i think grass is more suited to his game so maybe he'll make a better run and be a, a bigger weapon or a scare for the big three at it's Wimbledon. interesting it's interesting that the lendl effect hasn't kicked in with him yet 
Well, I think Lendl wasn't even there, right? Right. He wasn't there, <laughs> but he's still his coach. He's yeah. probably talking to him on the phone or something. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that dramatic change like we saw with Andy Murray. It's true. And I actually, um, in one of Djokovic's press conference, one of the guys asked Joke if uh, he thought Zverev was the new Andy Murray. Or no, actually, he asked if Dominic Team was. Oh. But in my mind, I think Zverev is more so because he, he's, to me, he, maybe it's because of the Lendl thing. But it was, it was funny to see Djokovic in the press conference because he was like, oh, well, which one is he, you know? And they were like, well, Ringo. And he's like, why Ringo? You know, anyway, it was a really oh, cute. yeah. And then he talked um, about like movie stars Yeah, maybe you can play that one. Okay, let's <laughs> listen to that. it is funny. Who is Ringo Starr? Ringo Starr was no, a, I know one of the is, Fab Four. And the, who of all four of us is well, Ringo Andy Starr? Murray was, the fab, okay. was Ringo Starr, the okay. less famous of the four Beatles. Okay. And uh, the less winner, and uh, <laughs> Dominic Team for semifinals is the new Ringo Starr. I'm sure that some people would debate if Ringo Starr is, was the less famous. Uh, some people liked him the most, but I don't know. That's what my parents tell me. Um, uh, <laughs> it's you, you make the best questions. I, I you, you always make me wonder. Uh, you cannot have a simple simple answer. Um, I, well, it's it's great to have. Uh, it, it speaks about the quality of uh, of the tournament and uh, the quality of the top four guys that reached the, the the last four. I think it's 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 great to to have the top four players competing in the the semifinals uh, on a biggest event because. It just brings even more rivalry, even more importance to the to those matches and to the tournament in general. Um, look, you know, I, I, you mentioned Andy Murray. I just I I, I want to say that uh, that I'm really pleased to see that he's coming back to the court. He's going to play doubles, and hopefully singles very soon. After you know what has happened with him in the last couple of years, I can relate to to the issues that he had because I've kind of went through my elbow surgery in a similar time but you know obviously his injuries are, are much worse than than mine and you know I've shared uh, my trajectory of my career in in a very similar fashion and in, in, in probably in the, in the same time as as Andy so I, I feel very connected with him and we're same age same generation we've known each other for a long time so it's really nice to see him on a side note and uh, Dominic is uh, <clears throat> deservedly, you know, uh, where he is, you know, top one of the top four guys, and um, especially on clay, that's where he's playing his best tennis. He he's got uh, he's got a uh, tremendous uh, uh, power in his game, especially with forehand and serve, and I think backhand also has improved a lot in last last couple of years. Seems like his relationship with uh, Masu has uh, helped him a lot also uh, mentally, I think, uh, in big matches. And uh, it seems like he has been working really well. So um, if, if he continues playing this way, not just on clay, but in general, I think we, you know, we, 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 we will probably be seeing him more often, you know, on different surfaces in the uh, final stages of, uh, of the tournament. So. Uh, how far <clears throat> us four, so to say, other than this tournament can, you know, create something that we've created with Andy, you know, uh, three of us guys, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's um, a different time for us now than it was five years ago, obviously. Uh, we're a bit older. Uh, but 
you know, we've been still enjoying some of our best tennis, you know, on the biggest events. Uh, I'm talking about Feder and Nadal and myself, and and that's great to see. I mean, obviously, you know, these these two guys, uh, Nadal and Feder, are you know, arguably the biggest legends of this sport and 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 best players, successful players ever. So to to be in the mix with them and 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 to have myself successful career is is quite uh, quite a great feeling. So yeah, I mean, for me, for me again, I mean, just Zverev. I think per, on a personal level, Philip, as a tennis fan, <laughs> I was very scared about um, tennis after Roger. Right? Like, what is life after Roger going to be like? And there's so many awesome players that I have to be excited about. I really like Ojeda, really like Zverev, I really like Sitsipas. I really like Dominic Team. Shapovalov is exciting. Um, not a big fan of the other one right there. No, um, there's there's just so many exciting up and comers. Yeah. To and um, I just want them to like make a push already. I don't know why because I don't need them to push Roger out. But um, I just feel like if they don't, they're gonna miss. They're gonna miss their window, and then it's gonna be the next next gen. Mm. You know, when when Nole's like thirty seven in four years, there's gonna be another group of teenagers that come up, wow. and then they're gonna have to be the ones that do it. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and it's so great that we can end this whole podcast on the positive note. We are in the greatest era of tennis, as been said by so many, and with Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, and with Nadal doing the impossible, the unthinkable, the fantastic 12. It's just how, how is it possible? It just shows how great he is and how great tennis is right now. Yes. So we're lucky. And we're lucky to have you listeners listening to us on this Tennis Pal Chronicles podcast. And I hope you enjoyed all of our banter about the French Open. (laughs) (laughs) Hope you enjoyed the French Open. Hope you uh, watched it and... Enjoy the whole clay court season. Yeah, and if we missed anything that uh, I know we didn't have a chance to talk about mixed doubles or doubles in general. <laughs> <laughs> kind of got excited and ran out of time. So Boy, this is a long podcast, but I think worth it, hopefully. And send us an email to pk at tennispalapp.com. If you think we missed something, if you think there's something that we should mention, or we would love to hear your thoughts about the French Open as well. And most of all, thanks for Tennis Pal for sponsoring our podcast. We really appreciate them. We could not do it without them. And there were so many great pictures on the Tennis Pal app from the French Open. I think a lot of the fans were there or posting pictures from the internet. So that was a lot of fun. So I want to encourage you guys to download the Tennis Pal app. You're going to really get a lot of bonus information about tournaments and players as well in the newsfeed section. Yes, and uh, what I really like also in the newsfeed section is you can actually see all the tennis news in one spot. So when I was following the French Open, if I wanted to just see all the headlines that were relative to the sport I love, I just go on there instead of having to, you know, hop around from ESPN to Yahoo Sports to this and this and this to tennis.com or ATP Tennis. Um, I just have one central spot. I could find all my important headlines that I need to know for what was going on at Roland Garros. That's a great point. Yeah, I love having that source. And thank you, Tennis Pal, for creating such a great app and for sponsoring this show. We really appreciate it. We appreciate all you listeners for listening to us talk about our passion for tennis and Tennis Pal Chronicles podcast. Oh, next stop, Wimbley. Next stop, grass. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, Val, thanks so much for your time. It was fun to banter back and forth. Sounds good. Can't wait to uh, do this again in a few weeks and talk about Wimbledon yeah. 2019. May all your serves be, be aces. aces.